looking at how busy we are, it's very difficult to train up people to free time from our other pen testers and cloud security experts and GRC guys just to help the others going. So yeah, building the community, building the, the right mindset, the hacker mindset is super important to me. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I have a special guest with me today, Ferg Hagathorn. Welcome to the show, Ferg. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Uh, why did you get into the industry? Where are you located, by the way? This is an interesting. Uh, so I'm in New Zealand. I'm in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, uh, I service clients all around the globe, uh, mainly in Australia, uh, New Zealand, UK, and India. Uh, we do a lot of business there. Um, uh, soon also Japan, uh, Indonesia, we're kicking off there as well. And the main services lineup that we have is around penetration testing, uh, secure cloud, and governance risk and compliance, like those three tiers. Why the hell do you do that though? Why? Well, about seven years ago, uh, the, the company I worked for, Planet Testing, uh, asked me if I wanted to kick off the security testing part. And I said, yes, it was still back then in the Netherlands. And I always want to have like an overseas type experience. So that's where I jumped on the plane, headed here. And I've been here, uh, yeah, for seven years building this stuff up now. Um, uh, yeah. successful on one side, not that successful on the sides, but you have to learn from your failures, as they say, uh, yeah. very exciting times right now with, uh, with really getting a lot of traction everywhere in all the, mm -hmm. all the specific spaces of, of where we deliver services. So planet mm -hmm. testing from the origin used to be like a, um, uh, a training, uh, company, uh, for, for, for testers, software testers, functional testing, uh, test automation, performance testing. Um, and they grew into the space about 20 years ago. They become, they became like quite a large organization providing testing services. And they've grown to about 1500 people right now. So yeah, in there seven years ago, I started my own little, uh, little practice of security testing and, uh, yeah, still going strong there. So you're quite busy and you were mentioning before the fall, when, before we hit that big red button, that, uh, you're pretty busy. Do you ever get downtime? Oh, no, never, never. It's basically 24 seven, especially when it's spread around the globe. Like with our UK clients, I jump into onto calls as well. So usually that's, uh, I start in the morning at, at like seven thirty eight o'clock and I, yeah, I have days that I finish at 12 PM, um, or 12 AM. What do you call that? It's midnight. Yeah, Let's put it there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, it can be, it can be challenging, but it's also quite fun. It's, uh, I love bringing a smile to people's face and giving them, uh, the, the, uh, the confidence that, that their systems are okay, or that they at least know where they need to address the pain points that are in there. So, yeah. What, um, you know, you mentioned that there are a lot of challenges. You're busy right now. What is your one bleeding neck challenge right now? Uh, finding people 
like mm. I think that's kind of the the, the theme all around. Um, we're recruiting right now, so if you know people, uh, let me know. It's just extremely hard to find the right people right now. Uh, people that can jump in uh, and can hit the ground running. Uh, it's it's a huge challenge. And looking at how busy we are, it's also very difficult to train up people to free time from our other pen testers and cloud security and, uh, experts and, and GRC guys just to, to help the others going. So everybody's quite spread thin and I try not to do that with the planning, uh, but sometimes we've got deadlines, client deadlines, and it, it's just very hard to, to, to build it internally. And we have done that in the past. And I always uh, pride myself that we've got about 20% of our resources being trained up into the field and tagging along with everybody. Um, I, I like to see myself as a provider of, of experts in the field. Of course, people move on and I just want to have them hit the ground running elsewhere as well. So yeah, building the, the community, building the, 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 the right mindset, the hacker mindset is super important to me. What is the hacker mindset? It's just thinking around problems, basically. Um, for example, you have a Citrix environment and you need to get into that system. Uh, if you have a web penetration tester, they really think directly in HTTP, uh, APIs, that kind of space, but they don't, they, they completely forget that they can actually use a file open in the help section, for example, in the streamed app uh, to get like a shell on the, on, on the box, on the, on the server, the, the Citrix server that, that the stuff is running on. Just trying to work around that is, is very interesting to see that, that light go on once they, once they get it. Um, but once they sniffed that, once they smelled that, they, they really kick off or they don't. I also had people that just couldn't grasp it. So. Mm -hmm. What kind of DNA are you looking for in terms of recruiting? DNA, um, curious people, people that want to know how stuff works, how it's ever, uh, how everything's put together, uh, how mm -hmm. it interacts. And what I'd like to see is people that think a bit further than the bits and the bytes and and the cables and the plugs um i want to see them also uh look at okay how does the business actually depend on this system that i'm poking and prodding right now um and and what could be from that business risk perspective interesting to look at and from a threat as well uh, if i would be a threat to this system how could i hurt them uh, the most um, and just play out that scenario in the test environments that we get given I think that's interesting because it's a common theme that I am hearing throughout this series is, is tying everything back to the business, right? Yeah. And how would you recommend those who are phasing into cybersecurity or, or are already in cybersecurity understand that business? What can they do to bridge the gap between the tech to the business? Well, when you look at the business, you have to look at it like, like it's like a human body and it's got a heart, it's got, it's got a nervous system, it's got organs and all those things support that one thing that you hold in, in your skull, that brain, that big gray, uh, fatty mass that actually makes all the big decisions. So that is basically what the business does and it navigates its surroundings, its environment. Um, and if you take out the heart, okay, cool. You only have one heart. That's the end of the business. Basically, if you take out a kidney. Well, you got two of those. So there's a BCP in place for that, a business continuity plan. It's just run on the other one, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So just to get them to see that bigger picture is, is very important to me. Um, and that, they, that every business has like business maxims, values, and a mission. And you usually can glean that from the website. 
once you look at that, you know how to put the system under test in perspective to that. And if you still don't know, you can always ask. Communication. Yeah. Key. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. So I want to dig into some of the juicy, the juicy stuff here. Yeah. Um, which gets a lot of traction because we always want to know as marketers and sellers what you hate most about this, this industry, the cybersecurity industry. Um, cold calls. I really hate those cold emails or whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I get a lot of those and they go straight into my spam folder. It's just not necessary to do that. If, if I need something, I'll reach out. I'll, I'll do my initial assessment. I'll reach out and go after that. Uh, the second thing is overpromise and underdeliver. Just be honest what the product can and cannot do. And I, I asked a couple of vendors that I work with um, and have worked with in the past. Okay, so so from a business risk perspective, let's say this this SAS product or this DAS product or this 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 scanner that you have, does it know when there's a business logic flaw in here? And nine out of ten times they immediately say yes, which is absolutely blatantly false. Because how can a scanner understand the, uh, the, the context in which an application actually works uh, inside a business? And if you, if, you, you know, if you can't put it into the app so that it knows that, and most of these, these, these tools that you can get, they can't do that, uh, if not all. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't do that proper business risk assessment, business security mm -hmm. risk assessment. Right. You mentioned that you have a way of going about evaluating solutions. When you are ready to evaluate a security product, how do you first and foremost go about researching a security product? What, what, is, what does that journey look like? How, how do, and how do you actually go about separating the wheat from the chaff? Because there are so many solutions out there. Um, we're very selective with the tools that we use. So usually we go for, for something that is highly, highly rated, very, very well known in the market. So that gives us kind of a head start in that space. Uh, then to see how we can really apply it to, to customers and then the customer experience and support it, support that. Um, we usually have it running shadow. So we do our regular penetration tests. We do our regular cloud security uh, scan. But we have that tool support us in the, in, in the back um, and just see what the output is. We won't use it yet for the client report, but we just see if it picks up the stuff that we regularly pick up when doing our manual checks or our user using our other suites of tools. Um, and from there, we can say, okay, we know the, the strong points, the weak points, etc. So I'll give you an example, um, source code analysis, for example. Um, um, there are so many tools out there and what we found when we integrated, for example, in a, a DevSecOps type pipeline, a CI/CD pipeline, uh, you want to use like a set of tools. Uh, some are really strong in finding certain issues. Others are stronger in other issues. Just you need to look also what type of code you're scanning, what kind of issues are, are predominantly in that type of code, what you would expect to find there just by the basis of, of how people code in that language. Uh, and what kind of uh, security issues they introduce by certain coding styles. Um, so we usually come up with a package of two, three, sometimes four tools, depending on how big the stack is that we're looking at, uh, before we actually say, okay, this, this is something that gives us like 80, 90% coverage. You mentioned um, you look at high ratings 
where do you look at those high ratings? Um, it, it sounds a bit corny, but we look at like stuff like Gartner. Uh, mm -hmm. we, and there's a couple of websites out there where you can pit some tools against each other and, and mm -hmm. have a look at, uh, at, at, at the, the comments of people that actually use it underneath that. Mm -hmm. um, so but there's usually, Gartner. Yeah, Gardner is one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the magic any other ones? Any other ones you want to divulge so that we, we understand or? Uh, just a Google search, basically, and looking at Google references search. there. Uh, we references. also ask our customers, a lot of customers, they, they have tools as well. Of course, we mm -hmm. can't know everything. Um, we kind of sometimes come into a, an organization and they have tools that we've never heard of uh, because there's so many of them out there. Um, and then we just do, uh, do a bit of due diligence on them and see how well they've been integrated, if they're looking at the right stuff. And what the detection rate is on, on, on issues that, that we want to detect. It's mainly on the development side, I have to note that. So it's really on the on the product creation side instead of the, 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 the con, uh, consuming that product. Mm -hmm. So you do your evaluation and you have a selection of four tools, more or less. Yeah. Do you do that? For a specific How? goal, yeah. For yeah. So you choose all those four tools for a specific goal or is it just a head, like, and use them all in conjunction or is it one tool? Uh, we usually use a combination of tools to look for the same thing. So for example, mm -hmm. source code, we use like, like Veracode, uh, SonarCube, uh, Fortify, um, yeah, whatever you like in that space. Um, yeah. And we do that, we, we select the tool based on, on how well it detects issues in, in the current code base. Mm -hmm. uh, some tools are stronger in Java, the others are stronger in C. Uh, some are much better in, in, in JavaScript pieces and you name it. So, um, yeah, it's just from that perspective, we need to be selective and we usually mix like open source with, um, with, um, uh, commercial off the shelf type of, uh, tools. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find that those comparison sheets on websites help <clears throat> at all, or are those too subjective for you? Um. They do help. They do help. Most of them are actually pretty good. Uh, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, the real, the real small stuff, um, usually the, they, they exaggerate a bit of, of what the tool can do and how fast it is, um, and how easy it is in use. So, um, th that's all rose colored glasses, but once you've got the stuff trained in, well, it usually does as advertised, but there is a learning stage in front of it. And yeah, that, that's something that. It, it would be nice if, if, um, um, if there would be more open forums in how to use the commercial of the shelf tools. Mm. That's interesting. Where do you spend most of your time in general these days online? Uh, online, um, mostly the forums actually, um, uh, doing, if, if I am online, um, yeah, office 365, <laughs> just doing my work. So I've got a feed the account and use that to do a lot of research in, in what's current with, with, uh, current attacks, current vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, I don't spend that much time online elsewhere, actually, mainly it's in, mm -hmm. in, in the product forums as well. So let's see. Here we go. I have a good, a good list here. I'm building a little shit list and I always like to dig into the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor. So if there's any kind of story you have there to give a little bit of color for us listening here, what's the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor that you are evaluating or engaging with? Um, 
actually didn't have that many bad experience in that space. I think it's with the pre-screening that we do, we actually do a really good job at that. So we don't run into that and we're really explicit in our requirements. We were a software testing company from, from, from the get-go. So, um, we know how to write requirements. So we, we really come up with a huge list and we just ask them plain and upfront, can it do this or can't it do this? And mm -hmm. that is for the vendor just to say, and as soon as we get like an evaluation version and they light on that, that evaluation version goes straight into the trash bin. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the end of the relationship for my part as well. They just get one shot. Either you're upfront and honest at the start. And if you're not there, then no, that's not from, then, then you're not a good partner for us. Then we move on. Are there second chances though in security when it comes to So it depends. Um, uh, we worked with a, with a company, it was a really young startup. And of course they, they tried to, to, to punch above their, their own weight. Um, and they had a really cool product. Um, and that's actually what we're using right now. But in the beginning, they said they were ready, but after our evaluation, we gave them a number of pointers and saying, no, this doesn't work yet. So we came back like two years later and we actually saw that they had improved exactly those points that we asked them to improve. And that's when we said, okay, let's move forward with this. Uh, this works nice. really well. Um, I'm really nice. happy. It's a threat intel type company as well. Um, and that does profiling uh, of your, your external exposed systems. So, yes. Yeah. So then let's, let's flip it on its head. That was, that's a pretty good experience. I, I like hearing that vendors are listening to feedback and, and applying it to, to the product roadmap, but what's one thing a vendor has done that has made you feel good? Um, just being very approachable, um, especially in you know, the technical support side of things, like having a direct line to, to a really good pre-sales guy or a really good technician that, that actually knows the code of the system that you're working with and just keeping those lines exceptionally short. I, I really like that because it, it makes me feel very valued. And we also get somewhere. Uh, we're professionals from our side, especially in the software testing space. Um, and I expect them uh, to be professionals from their side as well as somebody that creates software that we actually use. So from, from that perspective, it's, it's just really nice to see if they open up a channel like that for us, that we don't have to go through six layers of management before you can actually show somebody that knows what we're talking about, where the problem might be with a certain product or system or what, what we're using. All right. Take me through, we're heading towards the end of the, the session. I want to know what is one thing you want to impart on the audience today for those who are actually actively listening and applying these insights? Well. I've got a rant here it's, it's because, because I'm living so much on the left side of the software development life cycle. So the, 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 when the software is being architected, designed, built, uh, then tested, then put into a pre-port environment, production environment, actually I've got two pet peeves there. The first pet peeve is protect your test environments for Pete's sake, because 99% of the time that I walk into a client and ask, where's this data coming from that you're testing with? Oh, that's a copy of production. Second question is, is it as well protected as in production? Answer 99% of the time, no. It is also one of my favorite targets if we do like a red team exercise. I don't go after the, uh, the well-protected stuff because they see me there. I go after the test environments. 
very much fun to do. And they just don't see me coming in. They don't see me sneaking out terabytes of data. <laughs> um, so that's the first one. The second pet peeve that I have is when you have a product um, that has been developed and they throw it over the fence into the operational side, there is near to zero handover in how to keep stuff up to date. And we saw that, for example, with Log4j, we saw that for string for shell all those modules that you have to include into the Java product or whatever you're, you're running, um, a, a standard system administrator uh, that is hired to keep the lights on uh, doesn't know how to patch a piece of code that you have to patch to get that vulnerability out of it. Um, so the product support of that gets lost, um, but also the visibility gets lost of what kind of components and ingredients are being used in the product. When you build a, a product right now, um, you see that there's a lot of external dependencies um, that are being used, a lot of external libraries that are being included, and all of these things can actually have a vulnerability on board. You need to be able to scan for that continuously as well. And I see a lot of scanners, uh, vulnerability uh, scanning tools that actually miss stuff that has been compiled into the single binary or jar file or whatever you have. Um, and the same goes, for example, for the, for the environments. If you deploy it into an Azure environment or an AWS, um, they come out with new uh, security features all the time. So it's good just to keep reviewing that on a regular basis and get a cadence into that as well, just to, just to keep on hardening that environment where that system lives in. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my two pet peeves where, where I could see a lot of improvement. And, and it would be nice to see product teams, when they're developing something, actually create those assets for the handover as well. This is how you patch it. This is how you scan for vulnerabilities in the libraries that are included in there. Uh, the, this is the, the, the tenancy that you have to look the, at, at the secure configuration of. Uh, these are the things that should be enabled, disabled. Uh, these are the, the benchmarks where you, you should actually run against it and have like a nice security scanning package basically attached to it that the operational side can continuously run just to keep everything nice and patched and up to date. I love it. Awesome. This is great feedback. One more question. Do you think there are any differences or anomalies right now in the market that, you know, vendors can take advantage of to stand out apart from Ooh. what you already imp imported? That is a very good question. Um, I think there's more to do um, with uh, training. If you look where vulnerabilities start, it's, it's when, when, when those fingertips hit those keys, where the keystrokes happen. And the problem exists between keyboard and chair. It's a PEPCAC. 99.99% of all vulnerabilities exist there. So what I'd like to see is better training um, and also uh, tooling that supports in that. So tooling that trains up while it finds issues. Um, uh, so that you can get better and, and gamify that stuff. Seriously, if you get that SQL injection out of it, first time that you get caught putting a SQL injection or cross-site scripting attack into your web app, um, yeah, you, you get like, yeah, that's not, that's not good. This is how you fix it. And it goes through training and it shows people, uh, developers, where that issue exists and how it exists and how it came to be. Um, the second part that I'd like to see there is that it keeps track of how often you could have made the mistake and then says, oh, you could have made the mistake, but you actually did well this time. You learned from your last mistake. 
and just put like a score against that, gamify it and say, okay, this, this, this dev has like a six year track record of not introducing any security vulnerabilities. Here's a big fat prize, drive home in your Tesla model three, whatever. Uh, just seriously, add a draw to, to something cool like that. Um, just to motivate people to do better in that space. Yeah. Love it. Anything else you think uh, we should be we should be telling the audience today before we go? Um, keep your head cool. Uh, security vulnerabilities exist everywhere, and it's just in how you you handle the stuff once uh, a threat meets a vulnerability and at risk becomes real. Um, so be prepared, plan ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ferd, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.